Friends podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Singer. I'm a Christian writer and blogger living in the beautiful state of Alaska. I'm also a trauma survivor and a mental health advocate. I've been through some tough things in my life, and I'm sure you have too. Grace Moments is about helping you hold on to belief in your darkest hours, embrace hope by knowing your suffering is never wasted, and be inspired by the stories of others who have survived their own tragedy. Life, however difficult, can be a meaningful journey, and I'm here to walk it with you. So let's do this together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Grace Moments podcast. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. I'd love to keep expanding our audience, so be sure you spread the word. We're talking today about the concept of pain and its role in our society. How we perceive and respond to pain greatly affects our spiritual life and our ability to grow from the hard things that we face. We'll be addressing the apparent aversion to pain in our culture and its impact on the modern Christian church and speak to how we as believers can learn to view pain differently than the pervading perspective of our time. So let's get started. Not that long ago, Advil ran a commercial showing an older gentleman who loves to skateboard. Due to age, tricks can give him some minor aches and pains, but because he takes Advil, he can still enjoy a pain-free quality of life. To quote the commercial, when you have power over pain, the whole world can look different with its unbeatable strength. Then comes the tagline, Advil, what pain? To most of us, this is simply another attempt to sell us something, which we tune out and forget shortly after watching. But upon closer inspection, this commercial becomes indicative of a much larger cultural idea, that no one has a right to be in pain, and that, with enough proper assistance, you can have power over your own discomfort. A friend recently talked about this in light of having some surgery done on his arm and how God formed our bodies so that pain would tell us there is a problem. Pain was intended to communicate and teach us something. But now, with all of the medications and drugs available to us, we've adopted the approach that numbing pain is the best solution. Perhaps the same is true with emotional pain. And maybe our society is losing its way in part because we no longer make a space for pain to exist. Perhaps we've blown off the warning signs of deep distress in an attempt to give everyone a perfect, discomfort-free life and thus strip the average person of any ability to get close to the hard things and confront the realities of a fallen world. Perhaps what the Advil commercial was saying was proof of a greater issue, which is that we've labeled all pain as bad, and have taught ourselves as a culture that it must be eliminated at any cost. And unfortunately, this thinking has affected not only our world in general, but also the modern Christian church. If you go back in history, or when you observe other cultures, it has not always been this way. People have been dealing with the problem of pain ever since Adam and Eve sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, and God cursed the earth he made as consequence of their disobedience. Once sin came, pain came too. And every human who has ever walked this earth has had to deal with its existence as a result. But even with this fact, other generations and cultures have dealt with pain better than we've grown accustomed to in our current day and age. For example, many years ago, I befriended the custodian at my dad's workplace. 
His name was John, and he was from Poland. We always had the most interesting conversations, and I remember him one time talking about the young people of our society and reasons why he felt there was so much crime and misbehavior among them. One of his reasons surprised me, but in hindsight now makes a lot more sense to me. He said that they were not allowed to get close to death and suffering. He felt that as children and young people were becoming more and more protected when it came to pain and adversity, they were becoming numb to the effects of pain on other people and themselves. When I was growing up in Poland, he reflected, when somebody died, the whole town came to the residence of the person who died to view the body, pay respects, and comfort the loved ones. Little kids all the way up to elderly people, all filing past the coffin, parents teaching their children the reality of death and loss. Nobody does that here anymore, he added. His point is further emphasized by Julius Samuel, the founder of Britain's Child Bereavement UK organization, which provides grief and counseling services to children who have lost a parent or parents who have specifically lost a child. She brings up the sad fact that children often are left behind in the process when a loss occurs. We assume that keeping them behind with a babysitter while attending a memorial service for someone is a better option than risking them being a disturbance. We think that because they're young and quote-unquote don't know what's going on, that they aren't picking up any indications of anything and don't actually have questions or feelings about the hardships of life. In our sincere desire to protect them from pain, we've actually stunted their ability to deal with it in the long run. My dad is a great example of this. He lost his father at the tender age of 10 under sudden circumstances. He remembers his mom coming home from the hospital and saying his dad had died, but nobody in the family ever sat down with him to talk about it or ask how he was feeling, and so he learned to just stuff his grief. Julius Samuel adds that because of this, when the losses involved a person the child knew, we overlook their emotions and, in a sense, leave them behind in the process of dealing with pain. When allowed the chance to talk about why the person is gone, Sometimes people are incredibly surprised by the perception of little ones. Maybe John was on to something when he said that starting children young with the reality of life actually equipped them to become more realistic, more understanding, and empathetic when it comes to the existence of pain in the world. The children of fallen military members certainly think so. I read an article sometime that quoted a couple of them who'd lost a parent in combat when they were quite young. They described standing with their surviving parent as the coffin was removed from the aircraft, having been flown back to the United States from wherever the service member had died. Watching their living parent grieve and facing the fact that their mom or dad was never coming home, making regular trips to the gravesite, all of these things left an impression on these children that they say has helped them process their loss more fully and has helped them learn to make a place for the pain in their lives going forward. Instead of taking this approach, however, we've sheltered the young from the hard and thus raised a generation or two now who grow up with the expectation that pain is not their friend. And, true to the modern message, they are encouraged that they have the choice and the ability to eliminate it at all costs. When you feel physical or emotional pain, look for a numbing agent. That'll do the trick. We have all manner of medications to remove the pain of everything childbirth, depression, anxiety, aches and pains of aging, you name it. And on top of these, there are things like alcohol, sex, drugs, and many other things to turn to that are all aimed 
at helping someone not feel physical or emotional distress. Now, I'm not saying that certain situations don't call for medical intervention and that some forms of pain do, in fact, need relief. What I am saying is that the society has gone to great extremes to wipe pain from life and to keep us from actually feeling the things that indicate there is a problem in our lives or that of someone else we care about. In previous centuries, when there wasn't the access to such numbing agents and the reality of pain was far more accepted, people underwent great physical and emotional discomfort and didn't try to shelter one another from it. Imagine trying to protect children safe from the plagues that wiped out so much of Europe in the Middle Ages, or trying to protect them from the reality of the war for independence here in America when troops were marching through their towns, or when women were melting down their precious tableware so there'd be enough metal to make bullets. If someone was dying, for instance, they died at home, and the entire family was there to say goodbye to them and watch them slip away. If they had small children, the children were brought into the room and told that father or mother was dying and that they were to say goodbye. The minister came by and would only ask the dying if they were prepared to die and meet their maker. Entire communities mourned loss openly, per John's childhood memories growing up in Poland. Now we're supposedly progressing to where we often don't even see funerals anymore. We've moved from there to memorial service was where the coffin is not present, and recently, in growing numbers, celebrations of life where we're told not to be sad for the dead, but to think on their life and be happy they were here at all. There has become an aversion to letting pain have its way with all of us. Even television has created a world where humor comes at the expense of someone else's suffering, where the art of dying well or overcoming tremendous heartache is no longer praised. Our culture is obsessed with avoiding discomfort of any kind. We've lost our ability to create space where the reality of pain is accepted and bravely faced. Pastor and author Michael Horton gives an insightful look at how this has affected the modern Christian church. Quoting 20th century theologian Karl Barth, Horton writes that in previous ages, quote, the sanctuary did not see the world through rose-colored windows, but through clear glass that brought reality home, end quote. Case in point, the church cemetery. Barth noted the crosses in the churchyard quietly looked in through the windows to tell those inside what was most relevant on this earth and what was not. Horton goes on to say, But that was when we had graveyards on church grounds. Today, we have conveniently removed death, and with it the communion of the saints, and relegated it to nondescript secular cemeteries with euphemistic names like Forest Lawn, the average person today is about as likely to come into contact with the dead and dying as with the sources of daily bread. He points out that even within church services themselves nowadays, the discordant keys are not allowed because we just need to keep everyone happy. The average church service is all about uplifting people and making everyone feel better instead of being a hospital for the hurting. Faith has become yet another way that we numb pain instead of providing a means for explaining and accepting its existence. The supposed downer passages of the Bible are rarely preached on, and if they are at all, the pastor apologetically does so because it feels contrary to the peppy atmosphere the average church is trying to create. Just come to church and let Jesus chase all your shadows away. We've brushed aside the numerous verses and stories in the Bible where the human side of people and of Jesus himself was on display.
the parts where people lamented in prayer before God, completely at the end of their rope, the parts where tears and despair and struggle were real, the parts where death was unambiguously addressed. We are so eager to leave ourselves and others feeling good by the time we're done that Jesus wept is skipped over quickly in order to get to the part where everyone is happy again after Lazarus rises from the dead. Truth is, though, Lazarus still died again. His family still had to mourn again. There was no rising on the second time, but nobody talks about that. Nobody brings the solemn into the sacred anymore. It's not popular. But dare I say it is actually necessary. Imagine in prior generations attending church and hearing the minister bring God's word to those in attendance, pleading with them to be saved before it was too late, or speaking on the sufferings of Job or the desperate prayers of David while glancing out the church window at the graves in the churchyard, or seeing someone visit their loved one's grave following the service to drive the message home. Space used to be created for pain. Now all we do is try to pretend it isn't there. Truth is, sin brought pain into the world, and there is no escaping its presence or its effect. Pain comes for us all, in some form or another. Nobody is immune to it, yet we try to insist that there is a way for us to be so. Perhaps it comes under the guise of medical assistance or the gentle influence of a soft faith, but however we are fed the message, we are told to deny, ignore, dismiss, and avoid pain however necessary. We all have a supposed right to be happy. But when you honestly look at the fallen world we live in and the reality of Scripture, you see a very different message given, one in which pain is an unfortunate but allowed agent whose purpose is to cause us to realize the necessity for a Savior and an eternal hope. Pain teaches us that the problem with all of us in our world is the effect of sin. Bodies decay and die. Disease runs rampant. Senseless crimes are committed. Pain reminds us that this world is not as it was created to be. In the beginning, God intended earth to be a paradise. Now, he was not surprised at the sin of Adam and Eve as he knew all along what would happen and had already formed a plan to redeem their disobedience for the sake of the human race. But that was, this was not how he originally designed earth to be. In our first parents, we gave up our paradise as God had made it, and our only hope is in the new and eternal paradise of heaven. The presence of pain helps us to address the fact that all is not well with our world and with our hearts. We are all a fallen creation that cries out for redemption. We struggle with pain all the time because pain points us to the real problem with everything and everyone. Sadly, the one place where this truth can be proclaimed in the Christian church, we've adopted the culture's position on pain and created a therapeutic faith that is supposedly meant to remove pain from our lives because of the healing power of Jesus. For those who come to church seeking real comfort in their suffering, they feel instead they are meant to check their pain at the door and enter the happy place where lament is prohibited and graves no longer sit outside the windows. The sufferers then feel as though the problem lies somehow with them for not being as upbeat as their fellow believers. A disconnect grows between them and the church as they feel faith is giving them a false hope that does nothing to explain or provide real comfort to them in their distress. Dismissing pain from the Christian conversation 
overlooking passages of scripture that speak to the reality of a fallen, suffering world, and promising people that a life free of pain is the best life of all, is to excuse away one of the most key aspects through which God causes us to long for heaven. Author Ken Geyer profoundly articulates how the church ought to be when speaking to this topic. Here is the hope we should have when we go to church. Not that there is no sorrow in the room, but that there is no room where our sorrow is not welcome. For if there is a stable for our sorrow, there is always the possibility of Christ being born in the midst of the darkness of our circumstances. This is what we ought to be giving to people, not joining the culture and finding ways to numb or avoid pain, but rather allowing people to get close to it, to sit with it, to learn from it, and to allow it to drive them closer to the God who will redeem it all for his glory. As a senior in high school, I recall all of the wonderful wishes given to me when I graduated, all the cards filled with genuine love and well wishes for a bright future. But within three weeks, all those wishes seemed to come up empty. As I spent the next two years of my life helping my dad through a difficult and life-threatening health crisis, all those greetings that wished that all my dreams would come true, that I would have fair winds and following seas to the goals I'd set for myself, that nothing but success would come to me, all that suddenly made me feel like I'd been duped. I struggled to reconcile all those greetings with the reality of pain that had arrived in my life, and I've never forgotten how that felt, to be wished success but feel like you were met with failure, to be wished prosperity and feel like poverty greeted you instead, to be wished the fulfillment of all your dreams when none of those dreams came true and instead had to die in order for others to come alive. Three-quarters of the greeting cards for grads now I overlook for this very reason. I've gone to enough graduations where the speaker and the cards all said the same thing. We wish you a smooth, pain-free road to wherever you're heading. But I know there will be many like me who find their purpose not in their successes, but in their failures. Not in their joy, but in their suffering. Not in their happiness, but rather in their pain. Several years ago, at a homeschool graduation, the speaker got up and warned the graduates and guests that this would be unlike any speech they'd likely ever heard or would hear. He wasn't going to tell them all the usual things graduates are told. He was going to tell them about the hardships, the temptations, the challenges ahead, and why a foundation of faith would be the only hope they'd have of why pain would be the discovery of their purpose. I was blown away. Finally, someone with the courage to say the truth. Afterwards, I went over to the speaker and I said, You could only have said what you did if you had a story behind it. What's your story? He proceeded to tell me that he'd lost his older brother at the age of 20 to complications from a brain aneurysm he'd sustained the night of his own graduation from high school. The guy said he was only about 15 at the time. Having to experience such a life-altering loss so young changed everything for him going forward. Gave him a heart he has for church ministry and for helping young people. His core beliefs and his life mission came out of the pain of saying goodbye to his brother whom he adored. And what I went through with my dad around the age of 18, I had to agree with him. Walking through pain is hard, especially at a younger age. But perhaps we've done our society and its youth a disservice by promising them a life 
that isn't realistic, by attempting to give them a faith that won't hold up when the trials come, by sheltering them and ourselves in a way from the very thing that can bring us closer to God and open doors of purpose for us in this fallen world. Instead of twisting passages of Scripture such as Proverbs 3, 5-6 through 6, and Romans 8:28 to mean that God will always give us a pain-free, smooth-sailing journey to the places we're meant to go, maybe we need to take a step back from things and gain a different perspective. What if trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths actually means put your trust in a capable God and don't try to discern the mystery of His ways or blaze your own road but rather give Him glory always even in the hard things and He will never fail to direct and guide you. What if we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose actually means not all things that happen in this life are good, but all things that happen in this life will be worked for good to the praise and glory of Him who chooses, loves, and calls you for His purpose. How would it change how we view pain if we didn't try to deny its existence and pretend like it's our enemy? What might church look like? What might life look like for each of us if we were willing to acknowledge pain as the agent which directs us to a problem, which in turn directs us to the need for a Savior and hope of eternal life? Maybe John the Custodian was right, and maybe Advil and our modern culture have it wrong. Perhaps we don't actually have power over pain, humanly speaking, and we need to stop being on a quest to eliminate it. Maybe we need to, instead, get up close to it, see it as a friend, sit with the passages of Scripture that talk most about it, and learn from the examples in the Bible and throughout history who suffered well and allowed their pain to lead them to greater purpose, greater empathy, greater faith. Perhaps taking this approach, we might find that crime rates, suicide rates, alcoholism, drug use, and so many other numbing agents might be rendered unnecessary when we give people a reason to walk through pain. Nobody likes to hurt, but if we're constantly telling people that hurt is bad, then nobody learns the truth about fallen humanity in a fallen world. Nobody learns how to personally identify with a Savior who suffered greatly too. Nobody longs for heaven, where no pain or tears exist, when they're made to think that the perfect world can somehow be brought about here on earth. So let's say we start small and begin to change the perception around pain one little bit at a time. If you're a parent, perhaps when your kid skins their knee, you don't just give them the classic, here, let me kiss it, all better now, when the bleeding is still happening. Perhaps you give them opportunities to come closer to the more sobering realities of life at an earlier age, having conversations with them about death, suffering, and hardship. If you know a friend who's going through a painful season emotionally or physically, perhaps you refrain from giving them a Christian platitude and instead remind them that their sufferings allowing them to partake in the sufferings of their Lord and that this pain can be a means for helping them see and experience the necessity of a Savior even more. Perhaps you help them see that what they're facing is a harsh teacher to be sure, but one that they'll be thankful for later. Perhaps you point out to them that what they're going through shouldn't be written off as being all bad. If you're going through a painful season yourself, 
I know you just wanted to stop. I've been there too. But you must realize that for some reason unknown to us fallible minds, God has allowed this to befall you and to cause you to see a deeper problem and subsequent need for him than you might otherwise have noticed. Numbing the pain doesn't actually solve anything except give you a temporary relief. As cruel as it sounds, the only way to actually finding hope and pain and long-term relief from a heart standpoint is by bravely walking through it, allowing it to show you more about yourself and about God than you could have discovered any other way. As hard to believe as it may seem right now, God knows you better than you know yourself or anybody around you knows you, and he knows what you need. To the biblical character Job, his suffering seemed completely useless and unnecessary. His friends thought so too. Losing your children, your wealth, and your health all in one seemed completely senseless and unfortunate, especially since Job was by all accounts a good man that loved God. But what Job couldn't see is that none of his suffering took place without God's consent. God had allowed Satan to test the heart of Job and prove his faith, but God was not absent in the pain. God still was overseeing everything concerning how much Job suffered and what Job suffered. Until he got to heaven one day, Job never got an explanation as to why all that happened to him. But he did learn to humble himself before God, to acknowledge God's authority and sovereignty. He did learn to trust God in greater ways than he likely would have had God not removed all his earthly comforts from him. Your pain may appear inexplainable also. You may feel as though you're needlessly being put through something you never asked for or wanted. But as cliche as it sounds, there is purpose to the presence of that pain in your life. As contemporary Christian author Anne Voskamp eloquently and rightly puts it, the thing that you wish would go away, it's showing you a better way to live. Perhaps instead of banishing pain, we need to take Paul's approach with his infamous thorn in the flesh as told in 2 Corinthians 12. We are not clearly told what his aggravation was, but it is clear that it caused him great pain and discouragement. Even ever asking God to remove it multiple times, it still remained. God doesn't always fix things in the way we want him to. His answer to Paul wasn't to take the aggravation and the pain away, but rather to give him sufficient grace to bear it, to cause him to know God's strength more fully in his weakness rather than his prayer being answered in the way he had initially asked. God may remove your pain or he may leave it with you as a means of causing greater dependence on him in your life. Either way, the pain still does you good because God gets the glory either for your healing or your depending. Pain invites us all into a promised growth, healing, resurrection, an eternal weight of glory is described by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.17. We cannot become the people we are meant to be without pain. In a world where we are taught that we can obtain all these things without hardship, we are called to view pain as a means to a purpose that can only be discovered when we allow our suffering to work for us as God meant it to. While Jesus brought great comfort and came with kind words and a healing touch, he did not come to take all our pains away, said Henry Nouwen. Rather, he invites us to remain in touch with the many sufferings of every day and to last the beginning of hope and new life right there where we live amid our hurts and pains and brokenness. Our glory is hidden in our pain, 
if we allow God to bring the gift of himself in our experience of it, if we turn to God, not rebelling against our hurt, we let God transform it into a greater good. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, please subscribe to this podcast as well as leave a review. If you want to read additional content, please visit and subscribe to my blog at www.graceopens.blogspot.com. You can also connect with me on social media via Twitter at OpenToGrace2015, Instagram and Parlor at OpenToGraceAlaska, and on MeWe under my name, Katherine Singer. I'll see you in the next episode, and remember, Grace will always meet you where you are. Thank you.